Good morning. Thanks for being here in the room today. If you are listening online, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, like Juan mentioned earlier, we're starting a, a new series called Out of the Inn, Out of the Inn. And the premise for that is, is that uh, the insider, the one and only insider came as an outsider. He came to us, down to us as an outsider, so that those of us who are on the outside can be on the inside. That sound okay? And so that's the, that's the premise for the next uh, four weeks in this Christmas season of, of what that looks like for us. And so I'm going to try to kind of give a, a, a broad uh, perspective. This is maybe a, a message that would be put at the end of a sermon series, but I'm going to put it at the front just to sort of paint the big picture, and then we'll break it down over the next uh, few weeks. Um, how many of you understand, you know, the, understand the idea of making room for things that um, are important to you, making room for things um, that are that's something that you want to have or something that you need to have, especially uh, in the Christmas season, you have to start to pull out. I know for me, I had to start pulling out the decorations, right? Out of, for me, it was out of my attic, you know, and I'll, in my attic, I have all of these, you know, red and green bins, you know, so I know exactly what is Christmas, and I've got my orange bin, so I know what is Halloween, and, you know, I've got my, that's all I got. And then so, um, <laughs> I got my purple bins for Easter, but I don't have those, um, but you, we have these bins, you know, and we start to pull out all these bins. We get them down from the attic, you know, and you're trying not to fall off the ladder. At least, at least that's for me. And one of my rungs on my ladder is gone, so I'm trying to remember which rung that is so I don't miss it and fall. I've done that before. And so you make, you get all these things down. Then, you gotta re, then you're realizing, like, over the year, you've now collected a lot of other things in these spaces spaces in these spots in your home that you now got to figure out how to clear out of the way so that you can make room for your Christmas decorations, you know? So some of you, maybe, you know, you move some furniture around. I know when I was growing up in my house, you know, we had to take furniture down the basement when it was time to put the Christmas tree up because there was a piece of furniture there where the Christmas tree goes in the Christmas season. And so we had to make room for those these these things. These are the things that we want to make room for. Maybe you are buying presents and you got to figure out where to put presents, you know, and you got to make room for these gifts that you're buying, you know, these packages that are coming, you know, from Amazon and you grabbing them off the porch and now you got to this is what we do. Nobody goes to the mall anymore, right? And so we got these our Amazon packages, you know, and we're like, what do I do with all these packages? You know, where do we hide these things? And we're trying to find spots, find places in order for us to have room to, you know, eventually wrap these gifts and, and give them on Christmas morning. We, maybe some of you are here that you have to make room for uh, guests. Uh, anybody have guests that come in? Uh, you know, maybe you go somewhere, but you have to make room for guests. You don't, you're not used to having, you know, extra people in your, in your home. And so these, these people are coming from out of town and you're wanting to spend Christmas together and you are making room for your guests. These are the things that we do. And we do this with everything all throughout the year. We make room for exercise. Maybe you make room for that. You have to, if you're going to want to exercise, if you're wanting to diet, you're going to make room in order for you to be able to exercise. You have to carve out 
time out of your day in order for you to do that, where you maybe normally haven't done that before. And so you got to figure out, okay, what can I not do anymore so I can have time for this? What can I get rid of and so I can implement this habit in my life? All of us understand the idea of making room for things that are important, right? You with me? Okay, These are, this is how this works in our life. We make room for the things that are important. We make room for the things that we want to have. We make room for the things that we need. We all do that. We all do that in one form or another. So Christmas, it's interesting. Christmas, the whole idea of Christmas, and we can go on and on and on with examples of how we should make room. But Christmas is interesting because there is the story, the Christmas story, and there's just this little, and we, we all have read the Christmas story enough to, to know, you know, that what it says. But, you know, the Christmas story gives us a little, like, a little sentence or a little, you know, just a, a little observation of, of something that happened within the, within the story. And we're going to pick it up in, in, in Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 1. It says, it says, now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. So Caesar Augustus, that's not his name. That's his title. Uh, Caesar means ruler or, or uh, dictator or emperor. That was his title. And then Augustus is, is somebody that is to be revered. So Caesar Augustus is a title that an, a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And then it says in verse 2, this was the first census taken while Quirinius Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, so Quirinius was um, governor. Now, this this is sort of interesting. Maybe it was interesting to me. I don't know if it's interesting to you. But Quirinius, there was dispute or debate in the text, in this text, of if he was actually governor or ruler at the time of Jesus' birth. And so the skeptics would say, no, if you look back at history... History will tell you that Quirinius was not governor during the time of Jesus' birth. He was a governor at one point, but not at the time of Jesus' birth. Until an archaeologist named Sir William Ramsey, who, by the way, went out, as an archaeologist, went out to disprove Luke's account of, the, of, of his gospel of Jesus. He went out to disprove it. He went out and he said, you know what? If, if the Bible has any validity to it, if Luke specifically, if Luke's account has any validity to it, then I will be able to determine, I will be able to discover that it doesn't. And so he went out as a skeptic, as an atheist, he went out and you know what he discovered through his findings? He discovered that Luke's account and the scripture's account were absolutely, positively true. And one of the things that he discovered, and he became a follower of Jesus through those discoveries, through those findings. One of the things that he discovered was this, that Quirinius was a governor, or that word governor means a leader of Syria, so it doesn't necessarily mean he held the title of governor, but it means a leader of Syria. He discovered, he discovered through his findings that Quirinius was a ruler in Syria twice, on two different occasions, one 
at the time long you know, after Jesus' birth and another time when Jesus was born. Isn't that cool? All right, all right, I, just, I thought that was fun. I'm doing the, I'm just, I'm giving you apologetics and I'm gonna be unapologetic about apologetics, but I'm just helping you out here. Pastor joke. Um, let's go on, since you were so blown away by that fact. That was, my, that was my best stuff. I got nothing else after that. I was, like, I was hoping that your minds would explode, but it didn't happen. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the uh, house and the family of David. Verse 5. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him. Now, mental note. Keep a mental note of that. Okay, we'll get back to that. Who was engaged to him and was with child. Verse 6. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Verse 7 says this. It says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. So that's important also. Um, you know, in some circles that Jesus was the only son of Mary and Joseph, wrong. He was just the firstborn son of Mary and Joseph. Um, firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger. A manger was a food trough, uh, you know, it, just a, a place where animals would eat from because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, here's the, here's the scenario. We all have read that before, maybe you've heard messages on, there's no room for him in the inn, and, and that was just a sort of a, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, sort of a point that Luke made as he's writing out the account of the birth of the Savior of the world. And so he just says, hey, listen, there was, they had to lie him in a manger, wrapped in clothes, and because of the fact that there was no room for him in the inn. Now, this is consistent the fact that there wasn't any room for Jesus, this is consistent with the life of Jesus. This is, this is consistent. This is the reality of the fact that, that there is, um, Jesus' life was a picture of the fact that there was just pe people that just didn't make room for him. And let me give you a couple examples of that. Isaiah, uh, who was a prophet, who wrote hundreds of years before this account, Luke's account, of the birth of Jesus, hundreds of years, said this about the Christ, said this about the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Lord. He said this, he was despised and forsaken. So the fact that there was no room for Jesus was not an unusual experience for him. He was despised and he was forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. This is what Isaiah said would happen. When, when, as soon as he was born, he would be taken to Bethlehem because of a census, more importantly, because of the providential plan of God, which we'll talk about that in later weeks. But he went to Bethlehem. There was no room for him. They showed up, no space. Sorry, we're full. There is a census that you probably heard about it. Everybody had to go back home. It, the, the, the place, the refuge, the, the, the inn was full. Jesus had to be born in a stable, in a, probably a cave, 
where the animals were parked for the people that were traveling. And so in the smelly, stinky, cold, wet cave, they wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a feed trough, and we'll pick up the story later on in the weeks. But this is the, this is the picture of Jesus. Let me give you another example. Jesus was a grown man now. He's now getting followers. And it says in Luke 9, 57, it says, and they were going along the road and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And here's what Jesus' response to him was. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus, when he was a grown man, had a following didn't have a home. There was no place for him. There was no spot for him. He had nowhere to lay his head. John says it this way. John In John 1, it says, There was the true light which comes into the world, enlightens every man. So he's now, he's, this is John's take of the Christmas story. Verse 10, And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him and the world did not know him even even in his death even in his death there was no room for he was buried in a borrowed tomb even when it was came time for him to die on a cross rose to before he rose from the grave that he didn't even own his own tomb, it was a borrowed tomb that they laid him in. This is consistent with the life of Jesus. This is consistent with that. And I'll tell you why here in a minute. But look at it says, go back to John verse, uh, chapter number one, verse number 12. It says this. But as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, but of God. Now, this is the point of why Jesus came. Jesus, in other occasions, so there was no room for him, there was no spot for him, there was no place for him, and so that's not why he came. He didn't came so that people could make room for him. He didn't come so that people could make a spot for him. He didn't come so that people could make a place for him. That's not why he came. He says, I came so that those who do receive me, that I will come unto them, and those who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will, but of God, he says, this is, this is what he says in Matthew, Matthew 20, 28. He says, but it just says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying, listen, I, why I came is not to, for you to serve me. I don't want you to provide a big spot for me, a big place for me, a big room for me. I came from there. I came from a big place. I came from a big Room. I came from a place called eternity. I came from there, but I came here to this earth not to be served, but I came here to serve. And the way that I came here to serve is to give my life as a ransom for many. 
Paul wrote it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He says, but emptied himself in taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of, a, of men, verse 8, being found in an appearance as a man, so he's now, he's, this is the Christmas story according to Paul, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this is what Jesus came for. Jesus came, his, he was despised, he was stricken, he was, wasn't esteemed. He came and he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. He had no home to go to, to lay his head down at night. He had no space on, on earth to do that, is what he told some, some that wanted to follow him. He was a man who said, you know what? That's not why I'm here. I'm here because I'm here to serve. And the way that I'm going to serve is I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. And, and I left a, a place in eternity I did not consider myself you know, equal with God or, or I gave up my equality with God, he's saying. And he came down to this earth. And when he came down to this earth, he was found as a bond servant and found in the appearance of a man. And he humbled himself to the point of becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This was what his whole life was about. This is what his whole purpose of coming to this earth was all about. About And he would commonly tell his disciples this. He would commonly say, you know, like, and his disciples are going, like, listen, I thought you were going to be king. Like, where's our palace? I thought you were going to be ruler. When are you going to rule? And he would say to them I, on, on, a, on, a, on occasion, guys, guys, listen, you know, I'm going to be turned over by the authorities. I'm going to be turned into the authorities, and they're going to they're eventually kill me. And then he would say, like, but on the third day, I'm going to rise from it again. But they didn't hear that. All they heard was, I'm going to be turned over by the authorities, and they're going to kill me. That's all that they could hear. And he would say that to them commonly. And they would be wondering, when is it that we're going to have our spot? When is it that we're going to have our place? Jesus, when is it that you're going to let people start to serve you for the king that you are? And Jesus said, that's not why I came to this earth. I did not come to be served but to serve. I came as a bond servant, and I'm gonna be a bond servant to the point, and I'm gonna be obedient to my bond servantness to the point of dying on a Roman cross. And so the disciples heard this, and this is what their heart was. Okay, look at it says in John 14. This is what their heart was. John 14 was this, and Jesus, they, they could see it on their face. They could see the look on their face of almost like disappointment. Like, wait a minute. This is not what I thought you were going to be. This is not what Isaiah would, you know, was saying about who you're going to be. This is not what I believed was going to happen. You know, I thought you were going to be, you know, the government was going to rest on your shoulders and, and you were going to be a wonderful counselor, a prince of peace. And, you know, and, and I thought that this was what's going to happen. And, and, and Jesus is saying, listen, yeah, eventually one day that will happen. But right now I'm going to be stricken. I'm going to be forsaken. I'm not going to be esteemed. I'm not going to have a place to lay my head. And I'm here to serve, not to be served. I'm going to be a bond servant. That's what I'm going to be. And so their, so their response was, their hearts were troubled. Their hearts were troubled. 
And Jesus said to them in John 14, do not let your heart be troubled. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. He says, listen, here's, here's why. I, I know it's not what you thought it was going to be, guys. I know it's not what you thought it was going to look like as the one who claims to be the son of God here on this earth. But just like when I was first born and, and my earthly father and mother you know, took me to Bethlehem just with the way that God orchestrated it, and they showed up to the inn and there was no room for me in the inn, my whole life is about the world not knowing me. But those who receive me, those who believe in me, here's what will happen for you. He says in verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. He says, for I go to prepare a place for you. This is what he said. This is why I came. I didn't come so that, so that you know, I can make your space better or bigger. I didn't even come so that you can give me a space here on this earth. That's not why I came. I came so that I can show you the way to a place where there are many rooms. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, I'm going there one day, and I may not have the space here on earth that will give me what I think will make me happy, and it never will. It's never enough. But I'm going to go to a place one day where there is lots of space, and I want you to come with me. Come and go with me. This song with lots and lots of big tape. Come on, sing with me. This is my father's house. Still doing. Okay, good, good. Everybody's like, "Oh my goodness, what was that?" If you were like. You guys know it. You guys know it. Like, if you were part of, like, any over all-nighter or lock-in, like, as a youth group growing up, this is a song sang by Audio Adrenaline. You remember that? You know what I'm saying. This is, this is what he has for us. And Jesus is saying, listen, the reason why I came, the reason why I came is to not for you. To, he came to make a room for us. He came to make a room for us even when there was no room for him. The whole point, the whole reason that he came to this earth is, is to say, listen, there's no room for me and that's okay. I didn't come here to make room for me or to make more room for you. I came here to take you to a place where there are many, many rooms. And there's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. And there's a big yard where we can play football. It's my father's house. It's my father's house. 
Jesus said, I don't need a place to lay my head. I'm going home. Jesus said, I don't need anybody to serve me here on this earthly kingdom. I'm going back to my heavenly kingdom one day. As soon as I pay the ransom for many, I'm going back there. He came to make room for us even when there was no room for him He says in John, he continues in John 14, verse 3. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be with me also. And you you know, remember when we were reading the the story in the few verses, remember I told you to keep a, a note of the fact that Mary was engaged to Joseph? Remember I told you to remember that? Okay. This is the picture that Jesus is giving us right here. It's the picture of the process of Jewish marriage. It's the picture of the process of the Jewish marriage. A Jewish marriage was a lot different than our westernized process. When a couple that were Jews got engaged, the father of the groom would give the groom money to go and purchase his bride. It was commonly an an arranged marriage scenario. It wasn't like our scenario today where, you know, like for me, you know, I met Katie and and, uh, she fell in love with me and of course she did. No, and we dated, you know, a a while and then I decided this is the woman that like hit me. I'm like, this is the woman that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And, And miraculously, she felt the same. And I'm a traditionalist where I call, hopefully you're doing this, young people, listen to me, men, guys. I called up her father and I said, you know, Mr. Sipos, can we sit down somewhere? And he said, yeah, drive on out to where I'm at. He lived down river. I'm like, yes, sir, I'll be right, you know, I'll be there. And we met in this little Greek Coney Island place. Uh, I don't remember what it's called. And uh, I just remember sitting at the table and so nervous and sitting across the table was a man that I just was a gr- just an amazing man, one that I respect, you know, a successful architect. And, and I'm just like this little preacher kid, you know, and, and I'm like, Mr. Siples, I, I, you know, I love your daughter and I would like to ask her to marry me. And w- w- can I get your permission for that? And, and, you know, he asked me a few questions like a good father should and and I said I he's things like are you going to take care of my daughter are you going to make sure that you know she's she's taken care of and, and I, I'm I've taken care of her you better take care of her and I said yes sir yes sir I'm going to take care of her and then shortly after that he said okay I I'll let you marry my daughter and then and then we figured out a, a way for me to propose to her and so we uh we knew that I knew that Katie was uh, taking a college class and she was going to be out of her house for a while and so while she was at class I went to her house her parents left and I got you know her house sort of prepared and I'm such a dork in this way where you know how you normally you know how you normally this is so embarrassing but I'm going to tell you anyways um, you know how you normally like pull rose petals off the rose you know how you normally do that or whatever? If you're, if you Don't shake your head like you know what I'm talking about. You guys are too young. And you know how you do that? You pull the rose petals. I didn't do that. I, I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was so nervous that all I did is just had like long stem roses with the stem still on them and I just dropped them on the floor. 
I'm like, this, I'm like, this doesn't look right. I'm like, this doesn't look like I remember in the movies. Like, and, and it was just these long stem roses leading into the living room where I was, you know, on my knee with a ring, you know, and, and, and to get it, getting to get it, you know, ask her to marry me. And she said, yes. And it's like, this is like the process. But for, the, for them, it wasn't that way at all. As a matter of fact, when, when the groom would pay the purchase for the marriage covenant, oftentimes the groom and the bride never even met each other. It was arranged by the two sides, the parents that said, listen, I think you'd be good for my daughter. Oh yeah, I think they, they, you know, they, she would be good for my son. And they would arrange it as parents. They, the, the father of the groom would pay for the purchase of the marriage covenant. And then they would have a year a separated, still maybe never even met each other. There would be a year of separation where the groom would, his responsibility was to prepare a place for his bride. That his job was to make sure that the, his house, that his space was prepared for his bride. And typically, after about a year, but it wasn't until, it wasn't unless the father told the, the groom to go get his bride. So the, the groom and the bride never really knew when it was that they were going to come together. And then when they came together, there would be a wedding ceremony that didn't last one night. It was a wedding ceremony that lasted for a whole week. I mean, aren't you glad that ours is only like one afternoon? Theirs lasted a whole week. How expensive would that be? I'm glad I have to pay for that. I got two daughters. Oh, my goodness. This is the process. And so they would, and then so when the groom, he would go and get his bride. And he would take his bride and there would, be, there would be this celebration, there would be this party, there would be this banquet feast that took place. And when Mary and Joseph, in this process, uh, Mary and Joseph were just engaged. They didn't have the wedding ceremony yet. They didn't have the wedding feast yet. Mary and Joseph were engaged in that process. That's why when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he heard about it and he thought, he thought to himself, I need to break off this covenant because she broke the covenant. She broke the covenant and I need to break it off until you know, God intervened in Joseph's life. But that's where they were in this process. Listen, you know where we are in the world setting We are in the engagement process with our groom who is Jesus, and us being the bride of Christ. We are in this engagement process. And you know what's going to happen? One day the father's going to tell the groom, Jesus, to go get his bride. And when he goes and gets his bride, we get to go where he is because he has gone and prepared a place 
for you and for me. And it's in my father's house where there's lots and lots of room. There's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. There's a big field we can play football. You understand? This is how amazing it is for us that we get to one day be inside, be inside, that the insider came and left the inside in his father's house, and he became an outsider, no place to lay his head, a man of sorrows, forsaken, not esteemed, servant, bondservant, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to come and to ransom his bride, to pay for his bride, so that the bride, who is the bride? Those who receive him. Those who receive him, those who believe in him. And he's going to take us home one day. What an amazing Savior we have. What an amazing Savior we have. Let's pray. Father, we... Um, Many of us, if not all of us, were on the outside because of our sin, because of our brokenness. But you came for us to ransom, to pay the covenant, to pay the payment so that we can be purchased and be joined with you. And to be with you from now until eternity because of the debt that you paid. And Lord, you have, for every one of us, you have prepared a place. You've prepared a place. That there is a spot, there is a place in heaven. Why? Because you love us. Why? Because we're important to you. Why? Because that's what we do. We make space for things that are important. And that's what you did for us. You made space for us. And God, we're so grateful that you, one day we're going to step out of this place and be on the inside where you are. And Lord, we long for that day. Lord, we look at our times where we feel like our hearts are troubled, just like Jesus said. And Jesus is telling us, do not let our hearts be troubled. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, in this season that we don't let our hearts be troubled. That we know that you have and you will in our coming again to take us home and to celebrate with us forever. God, thank you for your love and your kindness to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.